The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to an emergency podcast slash midweek mailbag podcast. It's a dual hybrid podcast on your Pride of Detroit podcast network. My name is Jeremy <laughs> Reisman. I'm the producer slash uh, beat writer for the Detroit Lions for prideofdetroit.com. You can find me at Detroit Online on Twitter. With me for this emergency podcast, I brought two people along with me. First, let's go to senior editor of Pride of Detroit, co-host of the POD cast and first bite at Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. Ryan Matthews is here. Ryan, how are we doing on this Tuesday evening? Uh, I'm surprised, right? Like I, we, we talked about this a little bit. We threw it out there as something that might happen. And then it just happened at noon. <laughs> like, yeah. it, like it just came out <laughs> of nowhere, seemingly. Yes, and of course we are referring to the Jeff Okuda trade, which we will devote the first half of this podcast to, and then we will answer some mailbag questions after that. But before we get into any of that, let's bring in the third member of our emergency podcast. He is the machine. He is <laughs> Dane Brugler Light. No, that's me. No, <laughs> no, no, no. That's a that's a compliment. Okay, that's, that's a, compliment. a compliment. All right, it's probably uh, more Twitter. than I deserve. Thank you. <laughs> Eric Thank you. How are we doing, Eric? All right. I'm uh, excited for uh, our Spotify live, uh, but oh, wait, no, it's, it's not Saturday. <laughs> Trying to extend those in any way we can. Yeah, we are live and in person, a rare Eric, Ryan and Jeremy uh, live video podcast. So, of course, always here on twitch.tv slash Pride Detroit, but let's get to it. Um, Jeff Okuda traded to the Atlanta Falcons today for a fifth round pick. Technically not on the books yet, but the deal is done. Uh, just kind of working through the paperwork at this point. Um, I wrote a whole bunch on this, so I am going to save my breath here, and I want to just go immediate reactions um, from you guys. And let, let's start with you, Ryan. Yeah, I, you know, we, we kind of kicked this idea around, was it was it last week or maybe two weeks ago, where just in Slack we were talking about trade candidates for the Detroit yeah. Lions. Um, and talked a little bit about DeAndre Swift, talked a little bit about Jeff Okuda, and, and it, it's always a mystery to kind of understand what the value is for an NFL player at any given moment. Um, it, it seems like for the most part, like in other sports leagues, you can get an understanding of precedent being set here or there and establishing a, a baseline or a value. With football, there's just so many variables, right? And yeah. when it's, especially when it comes to you know, valuing a player versus uh, a draft pick in terms of what, you know, a, a draft pick has in value. I, I think we kind of 
came around to the idea that if Jeff Okuda got moved, it would be for a day three pick. I think that we all kind of, you know, chatted, chatted about it a little bit and looked at, you know, some, some other trades that were made that maybe could have been a, uh, a precedent that was set for a former first round pick, uh, yeah. getting moved, uh, you know, especially like a quarterback. Right. Um, but yeah, I, you know, a fifth round pick seems like fair value and, and truth be told, I think that this is a great trade for both teams. I think it's a, it's a fresh start for Jeff Okuda. He gets to go play, uh, in Atlanta and he has plenty to prove. So he's going to be highly motivated and, you know, the lions recoup something for a player who probably wasn't going to see a lot of the field. Uh, it was going to be, you know, situational or situational, and he was going to have to, you know, find a way onto the field in sub packages and things like that. So, I, I think it's a great deal for both sides. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think it necessarily comes as much of a surprise, right? Like we, we were talking about it for a reason. Like the, the I'm not going to say the, the writing was necessarily on the wall, but I think, you know, even when the quote unquote rumors came in at the, at the front of the week, it was like, okay, I, I don't, I don't know if these are true rumors, but it certainly could happen. Right. Like we, we all saw the the situation that Jeff Okuda was in. So um, let me throw it to you, Eric. What what was your kind of initial reaction and, and how are you feeling maybe a, a few hours now removed from, from the news? Well, you know, I think our initial reaction is always going to be that they didn't get enough. I think that's the classic, you know, gut feeling that you get initially. And I think when you take a step back, you you come to realize that this is really, unfortunately, what the going cost is. And then when you add in contract you add in the fact that it's the final year of his contract um those were all things that had to be considered when weighing the cost of the draft pick that that comes in return so uh it seems you know it's it, it seems low right but i mean it seems realistic as well right yeah. like it like like you, you said at the top it's it's something we kind of anticipated that if a player was moved at this time of year this is really what the going rate is, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, could they have held on to him and and maybe tried to make a in season move? If he was playing, maybe they get more. But if right. he's on the bench, maybe they get less. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's possible that no one even picks up the phone. So, the fact that you can get a uh, a fifth round pick in return uh, is is not you know it's not anything to shake a stick at. So. You've got now what two two fists two six and and they're sitting there uh, with nine picks now in the draft and I, I know Ryan has long said he doesn't expect them to make eight picks. Well, looks like Ryan's might get his wish or might, he might be the Nostradamus here. Maybe they make nine. Uh, I or, can't be know. wrong. I can't be wrong at this point. I can't wait to retweet myself and run victory laps. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people doing that today, unfortunately, uh, trying to run victory laps over Akuda, which is a shame because yeah. this is a kid who is uh, a very, very intelligent, very motivated. Uh, he gave everything he could. Uh, it's not like it was a lack of effort that that landed him uh, in the situation that he was in. It was a, a, a problematic mesh of uh, with the scheme. Um, the, the, by the end of the season, it was becoming a problem. Uh, we saw them try Akuda in different spots. Uh, look at the Dallas game yeah. when he was shifted more into like a slot role. Um, whenever he was asked about the coaching staff approaching him about moving to a slot or moving to a safety role, he was always, I don't want to say resistant, but he always 
his answer was always, I've never played there before. So why would I play there? You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. he, I don't think, I don't know. It's hard to tell if maybe he was resistant to the idea or maybe they, they just never approached him because they just didn't think it was a, uh, would have been a promising move. Um, but I, you know, he's, he's still got a chance to rebound. He's now going to be a full year plus away from his injury. Yeah. Maybe he'll have a chance to, to, you know, find success. It, it's, it's crazy when you change scheme on sometimes on players, sometimes they can find a whole new world uh, open to them and, and they can find more success. So hopefully he ends up, you know, playing well for Atlanta and, and giving them uh, some, you know, promising contributions. Ideally the lions land uh, a pro bowler with the fifth rounder and, <laughs> um, and uh, the, and, and in the end, the lions also save a good five plus million in, in cap space. And they just keep loading that uh, cap space up and uh, keeping us guessing on what they're going to do. Yeah. I, I think it's important to address kind of the, the fan side. Cause of, of all this, because yeah, like we can look at this analytically and we can all be like, okay, they weren't going to play Okuda this year. They got yeah. a fifth round pick for him. They, they unloaded what would have been a 10 million salary and, and dropped it to just 5 million in dead cap. Of course, all that makes sense. But this was a guy who a lot of people were really excited about when they drafted. There were people, there was definitely a lot of skepticism too. I'm not going to ignore that. Most of it seemed to be centered around um, value corner at, a, at three, which I think has since been kind of disproven that that's not a bad value pick as long as you get the right guy, which is true of any player at any position, <laughs> I, I suppose you can say. Um, but this is a guy who did everything right. Um, he, he, he worked his ass off. He worked his ass off getting back from an Achilles to, to be ready for training camp, which in it of itself was an impressive accomplishment in that young man's career. And so to see him get traded away for a fifth is it's a sad day, right? You you can agree with the move. You can say they got good value for it, but it's, it's an ultimate failure from this team. And, and I guess you could say from Okuda too. And, and no one likes to see that happen with a guy who was giving it his all. And, um, you know, maybe it wasn't a scheme fit. Maybe he, he was just a little bit too much in his head. I mean, this, this is a kid who's gone through a lot for a 24 year old, 23 year old in his life, whatever, whatever he is. And so it's just, it's a bummer. Um, I don't like seeing lions trade players away in general, um, because you develop relationships with these people, you get to know them as people. Um, and I don't, I, I just, I don't, I don't ever want to lose the sight of that. Um, and so people that are like running victory laps today because they were right. It's, it's, it's gross. Um, not that we need to address those type of people. We can keep the, the discussion here to Okuda, but I, I guess that's just how I'm feeling today. I, I don't, I don't feel great about this trade, even though I can understand it. 100% made sense. Um, the, the only, the only really thing debatable thing about this topic is yes, Jeff Okuda's value was about a fifth round pick. Is that still worth making the trade for Detroit or is, is he worth having around as injury depth as, as a guy who can, you know, come in in situational packages. He was getting a little taste of special teams towards the end of last year. Is it worth having someone like that on your roster, even though he's going to eat up 10 million of your cap space? Because you, I mean, everyone's talking about, this is a team that expects to contend. So having a deep cornerback room, is not a problem. That's, that's an asset, right? So I don't know. What, yeah. what do you guys think about that? Yeah. I, I, I... I know it's Ryan's turn, but I'm going to jump in here because uh, um, I just want to point out the fact that, like, at, if we look back at the end of the season, 
the writing was kind of on the wall with the depth chart, right? Now, again, this is tw- hindsight in 2020, and we were very surprised that he that he found the bench in those last couple of games. Granted, he was injured, which could have played into it as well. But Jerry Jacobs was on the field, and he'd been on the field. So yeah. could, did Jerry Jacobs pass him on the depth chart? If he Probably. did, now that's a $10 million contract that's fourth on your outside corner depth chart. Yeah. And then when you look at the fact that Gardner Johnson just took Will Harris's job and Will Harris can also play on the outside, well, now it's like, oh, and, and, and Nakuda and Will Harris battled. Nakuda won that battle. But again, how when you're talking about CB4 on the outside, how big of a of, of a step down is it? And is that worth $10 million? You know what I mean? And yeah. so I, a lot of this, in my opinion, came down to they they knew he wasn't part of the long-term plans. They thought they could maximize getting value for him. Now they could shed some cap for whatever reason, just to stay flexible. And it tells me he may not have been from the coaching staff's perspective. He may not have been as close to the competition as we may have thought he, he was, and he could have been CB4 and you can't pay $10 million to CB4 on the outside. Yeah, I mean, those are all great points. And, and the one left that I have to underscore that you kind of mentioned, Jeremy, is the, the Lions and their front office, they did write by Okuda, right? Because like like you said, Eric, maybe the writing was on the wall that Okuda was destined to be CB4, especially after they made all of these moves in the offseason to upgrade their cornerback room. I mean, they're looking at a guy who was a former third overall pick who... It suffered not one, but two like significant injuries in his first two seasons. Right. He has core surgery uh, to, yeah. to repair, um, you know, the, the injury that he had going all the way back to Ohio State. Yep. And then he suffers the Achilles injury in year two. The guy finally like his for all intents and purposes, his rookie season was last year um, in, in my eyes. Like it, it was his first opportunity to see the field from day one. And, you know. This is going to be his first normal offseason, right? Yeah, not not like, rehabbing back from an injury. Not right? rehabbing, yeah. not yeah. during the COVID offseason. And I think that's why some people had a little bit of hope left in, in Jeff Okuda. And, and you even asked, like, the coaching staff sometimes. like, and, and Brad Holmes, they're all like, this kid is young. Last year, they, they said the same thing you just did, which is like, last year was kind of his rookie year. So there's still time for this kid to develop. And so, I mean, this this is a, a low-risk, high potential reward for Atlanta, for sure. Yeah. And, and, but yeah, the, yeah, the point being though, that they did right by the player. And I think that if Okuda goes to Atlanta and he flourishes and he finds some role that, that suits him well, that, I mean, the lions did right by him. He's not going to harbor any ill will. He's not going to be upset. He's going to be thrilled that he got an opportunity to go showcase his talents in a, in a place where he had an opportunity. So I, I think like, like we've kind of all, I think agreed here that this was a win-win for both sides that Okuda gets his opportunity. The lions get to move on. And and, and the last thing that I want to point out about the point that you were making earlier, Jeremy, about the way that we kind of preemptively maybe label players as bust and things like that. Like we have to remember that these players aren't deciding where they get picked. Right. And, and I think that for so long, uh, you know, I, I talked about it this in an article about how the Lions draft strategy is kind of changing with Brad Holmes and, and picking the best player available. 
you know, a, a lot of these players that get overdrafted are being shoehorned in because they're immediate needs, right? Like it's not TJ Hawkinson's fault that he got drafted in the top 10. It's not, you know, Eric Ebron's fault that he got drafted as high as he did. Jeff Okuda, like the, the list kind of goes on and on where it's like, like you said earlier, cornerback at three, that's like a pretty risky pick to make for such a volatile position like cornerback. So, um, you know, again, he had a lot of pressure coming on. Um, coming into his, his rookie season and injuries really just limited him. And now he's finally getting his chance. And I look forward to to him getting a chance because like, it's not just, he was a bust, right? It's not just, he didn't live up to expectations as being the third overall pick. Like it's not so black and white. It's not so binary. He had good tape last year. Like it, it like, yeah. am, am, am I, am I crazy in saying that? Like he had, I mean, national national writers like like Ben Salak from The Ringer is writing about how Jeffrey, you know, Jeffrey Okuda is finally the the star that everybody thought he would be. Right. You know, three weeks into the season. Yeah. And and it just it felt like he just ran out of juice. Right. And again, maybe he did. Maybe with a full offseason. Unfortunately, he's not going to have a regular offseason now because he got traded in the middle. But this is sure. as regular of an offseason as he's going to get. And one interesting note that I think Dave Burgett pulled up was uh that the Falcons were Jeff Okuda's team that he wanted to play for out of college. So further doing him a, a favor. Um, I was going like, to ask, you remember, do you remember that story? Cause I don't, I don't um, either. <laughs> I don't either. Okay. Right. But, but the, but he, the, the, I think there, there will be kind of an overlooked um, aspect of, of Jeff Okuda in Detroit and his legacy in, in kind of a, a tainted in, in a weird roundabout way is going to be left with Jerry Jacobs. Because if you're a Jerry Jacobs fan, if you think Jerry Jacobs is an awesome and important piece to this puzzle, you have Jeff Okuda to thanks for that. Because if you remember his rookie season, he's coming in as an undrafted rookie, way in and over his head, long shot to make the roster. And who does he latch on to? Jeff Okuda, who at 23, 24 years old, whatever he was at that point, acted as a mentor, something that he never got. And that's actually the reason why he did it is like, Really, Jeff's entire career, he did not have that mentor type in the locker room. And he acted as that guy in year one of his career, in year two of, of Jeff Okuda's career. Um, yeah. So you Jeff know, Okuda's I, only 24. He's yeah. only 24 right now. Right. So, I mean, th- I think that speaks to the character of the person, which is why I think most of us that don't have this weird, I don't know, Buckeye resentment or I want to be right about the draft resentment, um, hope that he succeeds in Atlanta. Um, before I had to break, let, let's talk about the Lions future, um, how this effect impacts everything else. Um, I see everyone now saying Devin Witherspoon at six. Um, I, I feel like the group in this room right now, we're pretty much, we're never taking cornerback off the board. Um, but does this, does this increase the chances at all? Or was it, was there always a really good chance that corner was going to be a, a high priority? I, I want to add a, a question and a layer to this. Okay. Like, we just saw Jeff Okuda's career play out in Detroit as the third overall pick. And I just got done talking about how it's a bit risky to take cornerbacks that high because they are such a volatile position. Is it a shoe in that Devin Witherspoon is the guy at six? I don't know. Well, I, I don't know who this Devin Witherspoon guy is you're talking about, but um... <laughs> another, but, uh... another big 10 cornerback. <laughs> um, no, I look. I think Witherspoon is a terrific value. I think uh, Gonzalez is still in play. Um, yeah, I don't think this really changes their approach because 
Akuda wasn't signed beyond the season anyways. And so uh, the draft approach really, I don't think it's altered much at all. Uh, the only thing I think it leaves on the table is something that Ryan and I discussed in our last Zoom meeting together um, was that could they double dip at corner? And we said no, like they could now maybe, right? Because we before we said if they double dip at corner, there's not there's just not enough room. And now I think I wouldn't take it off the table if the best player is there at the right spot and they take they could take another defensive back and and it'd be okay. Like they, they have a little bit more room. So it gives them, maybe it gives them a little bit more options, um, which is kind of strange to say, right? Cause it doesn't change it at the top and it gives them a little bit more freedom um, cause you're not counting bodies. And so, but as far as like priorities, I, I don't think it prioritizes cornerback any more than it already was. Yeah. I mean, and, and that just, and the main reason for that is I think we all, saw on you know looking down the line that, that Jeff Okuda was probably not part of this team's long-term plans because he like we said like he wasn't going to get a lot of playing time this this year anyways and if he wasn't well then why would they resign him next year and so the long-term need was always there uh it was pretty clear they weren't going to pick up his fifth year option to anyone paying attention and so um we are left now with uh, a, a, a complete changing of the guard at the cornerback position uh as much as you can probably change in one offseason so we wish Jeff Okuda the best. Uh, obviously, um, we we hope that the Lions have, have made the right moves here at the cornerback position. They 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 made a ton of moves, and we got excited about it a couple weeks ago in free agency. And I don't think this changes much. So um, we are going to take a break here, uh, move on from the Jeff Okuda talk, and start taking some mailbag questions like we would normally on a Wednesday. But we uh, we're doing it a day early um, due to schedules. So. We will be right back answering your Lions questions right here on the emergency slash midweek mailbag podcast. We'll be right back. threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving we do just that learn more at marines.com Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we are back on the emergency podcast slash midweek mailbag. We have finished the emergency podcast part. Now it's mailbag time. Uh, Ryan has has let himself go. Um, this is just you and me, Eric, again. <laughs> that, that is an unfortunate turn phrase. <laughs> he has let Ryan, himself go. Ryan, Ryan has exited. He has other things to take care of. He is uh, 
he is a terrific person in terrific shape. And uh, I think uh, we're, we're going to, it's going to be a terrible show without Ex- Ryan for the last half. Excused himself is what I was looking <laughs> there for. You um, there you go. But anyways, uh, so now we're going to answer your questions and we'll, we'll start kind of on a similar topic here. Um, lines obviously save 5 million in cap space with this move. They've already had yep. about 20 banked before that. So a lot of people are wondering, Eric, the remove coming is is something coming down the pike here. I don't know. <laughs> you know, like I think that's I think that's the point, right? Yeah. Um, they've they've definitely put themselves in a terrific spot, right? Because you you have to allocate around eight million dollars for the uh, draft class. Uh, even though the draft class is going to cost eleven, only about eight of it's going to count against the top fifty-one. Right. You have to allocate, you know, about five million roughly for. Uh, in-season moves, something that they haven't done in the past, which is why they've had to make in-season contract adjustments and stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, additionally, you have to account for the fact that you're going to have to pay, pay the practice squad uh, like three, four million. And then, um, you know, if you get anybody injured, those injured reserve costs uh, add up as well. And so, you know, the, the, it's going to cost them between 16 and 20 million to do the things that they want to do without a problem. And, and they're, and they're got like 26 million or 28 million or something like that. I, I didn't, I, I can double check to be sure, but they've got plenty of cap space. Um, they can make a move if they want to. If like all of a sudden a guy like Ed Oliver becomes available, if all of a sudden uh, you don't draft a quarterback and you need to sign Teddy Bridgewater, you now have the money to do that. And so you've got a few different things that you can do and, and they won't be as pressed up against the cap as they've been in the last uh, two seasons. So it's, it's, it gives them more flexibility, which is, I think in the end, a lot of what this off season has been about giving Brad Holmes the flexibility to be fluid in his decision-making. Yeah. And I think one of the, you know, other things that they might be doing this offseason is is giving players extensions. And in, in some ways, extensions can create cap space in year one, right? You, you can yeah. actually lower the, the person's cap hit in year one by having a low salary, high signing bonus. Now they don't necessarily even have to do that. They can they can make it a more leveled um, kind of format for the entire contract so that you aren't backloading it a ton. And, and that's good for the player. And that's maybe good for you so that you have a little bit more wiggle room at the end of this contract. So if you're, you're giving a, a guy that you know is going to live out the entirety of that contract, you don't have to backload it. So it's all crazy at the end. Um, so yeah, it, it's all about what you said. It, it, it's wiggle room. It's, it's options. It's, it's they're They're just in a good cap space and, that, and they don't have to spend it all. They can, they can roll it over if they want to, too. So um, just having, having a lot of cap space does not mean you have to use it. Um, but, but they have options. Like you said, the biggest name that they may extend is Jonah Jackson. Right. And right now, Jonah only costs 3.2 against the cap. Right. So you're, right? Not, gonna, you're not probably not going to say you're not money saving money with Jonah. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even if you front load or even if you backload the contract with yeah. Jonah, you, that cost is still going up. But now right. you can make that move if you want to. Fair enough. Um, all right. Let's move on to another question here. Uh, let's see. I think I like. Let's start. We haven't really talked about the Jamal Williams hole on the roster in terms of leadership. And so uh, yeah. an interesting question here. Um, I'm trying to find it now. Uh, but basically, the the version of the question is, who who fills that role? Who is going to be the emotional leader 
And we can stick. Let's start with the offense, um, because I feel like that. I don't know if there's a clear answer for me as a, as a vocal leader on that on, on that offensive side of the ball outside of Jamal. Well, I think Jared Goff has been um, one of the vocal points, but that's expected. That comes with the quarterback position. Yeah. I think what we saw near the end of the year is Taylor, Taylor Decker, Decker. Yep. and Panay Sewell. Yeah. Um, Panay was really leading a lot of, uh, you know, uh, circles at the end Mm -hmm. of the, you know, pregame circles at the end of the, of the season. So uh, Panay, Decker, Goff, Josh Reynolds is not as big of a speaker, uh, but he has been known to be, have that kind of leadership role put on him. Uh, But I really think if you're going to build the strength on the offensive line, you might as well install leadership there as well and, and let those tackles really just take over because Decker's the oldest guy in the team now, right? Like yeah. now the Brockers is gone. I think so. And yeah. so it's a very natural move for him. It's something he didn't do early in his career. It's something he didn't seem like he had any interest in. Um, but things change as you get older. And we've, we've seen that. With Decker, we've seen like look at Chauncey Gardner Johnson, right. uh, how he's talking about taking on a leadership role where that wasn't something he did in his earlier years. And so, as players evolve and age and, and become more mature, I think those those natural leadership roles kind of evolve. The Lions don't have a lot of aged veterans, right? And but I think it's important that the ones that they do make sure that they're stepping up in and uh, being vocal. There is technically one person that is older than Taylor Decker on the roster, and he's a newcomer. Long snapper McCoy. No, I was gonna say. I was gonna say it's it's he's Don Mulebach point two point oh right. Whoever like the, yeah. whoever the next guy is. Um. Yeah. But no, I think I think I agree with that. <laughs> so we'll just move on to the next question here. Um. From at the Fox Magnet on Twitter asks, can you explain the wide range of opinions on Tyree Wilson? He seems like a popular option for the lines at six, but some analysts say he's more yep. of a late round prospect. Why the gap? Uh, because he's not a proven commodity yet. You're drafting him based on potential. And there's some analysts that look at that potential and say, it's something that's worth betting on because of your, you know, your, your arm, your, your, you know, uh, size, weight, length, all that stuff. Right. Um, combined with your athleticism. And then that makes it that rare combination of things is worth gambling on at the same time. There's other people that are like, I like sure things. So I'm going to put the wild cards a little bit further down. And it's just, it just becomes preference. Um, I, is he he gets compared to Ezekiel Anza a lot, and I think that that's a apt comparison situationally, because Ziggy was a guy who was really raw but had a lot of athletic gifts, and it's it's highly likely that you know Wilson comes into the season or comes into the NFL eventually has like a, a double digit sack season. He has that potential, uh, but then who knows? You know, yeah, and I think that's that's why there's this such discrepancy. Yeah. I, and I, I've seen comparisons to Trayvon Walker as well. Like it, it's, it's all about the, the physical stature. It's all about the athletic tools and, and he just had okay production, not, not bad production, but okay production. And when you're at a place like Texas tech, I, I think you expect people expect you to have more solid 
um, yeah. actual statistics and things like that. And then I see, you know, some people in the chat are also mentioning the screw in his foot, that sort of thing. I don't know what kind of long-term concern that that actually is, but that's that's part of the evaluation too. And so maybe there are some people that are scared off by that. For teams that have Wilson above of Will Anderson, it's lunacy to me. Yeah. Because Anderson is not only a proven commodity, he has high production in the SEC over right. multiple years, and that translates so easily. Right. Like, like there, there, he is. Do you sense this this Will Anderson like slide train that's going through the media right no, now? That people I, are I, like, I, I don't buy. He's it. actually not as good as his tape. Like people, people just assume yeah. he's that good. But once you look at the tape, he's actually not that good. This, look, this is just he, this is just pre draft lunacy and boredom right yeah i look he's look, do you want him to have he's not flaw he's not infallible right, right. like you wish that he had a couple of more um maybe pass rushing moves that he would go to but the thing is is he's been so much better than everyone else across from him that all he's had to do is just bully them right. over and over and over like and so he's he still has a arc but that developmental arc just means he can get that much better. Like, right. show, has... show me a rookie that doesn't need refinement. Right, right. It's rare. Yeah. Like, it, Anderson has Khalil Mack level of ceiling. Yeah. Wilson might have, he, he can probably be better than Ziggy. But he's not, I don't think he's ever going to get to that level of like an impact player. And so I think a lot of the, a lot of the speculation that, you know, there's some teams that have him higher. It would be teams that, that base more value in traits as opposed to production and film. And I think that's something you see from previous regimes and not necessarily the one that is in the front office in Allen Park right now. Right. Um, all right. We got a couple of questions about linebackers. Um, I'll, I'll kind of smush these together. Uh, Derek Brooks on Twitter asks, is our base defense a four two five officially? If so, would that absolutely take linebacker off the board before round five? I would presume no question mark. And then Boston uh, line at line Boston on Twitter asks, with the bringing in of Drew Sanders for the top 30 visit, do we think Derek Barnes could be on the hot seat because stylistically they are similar players as that edge rushing middle linebacker hybrid? Um, I wouldn't say officially they're a four two five, but they run it like eighty percent of the time. Yeah, yeah. so it's like it's it, they are they just like may not officially diagnose it that way. Yeah. Um, they run nickel. The whole league runs nickel like yeah. over eighty percent of the time. That's just the way the league is now, and so linebackers are becoming less of a priority and for systems that do run multiple linebackers you tend to sacrifice in other areas um but they're almost always like these you have five defensive backs on the field the majority of the time right so um adding a guy adding any linebacker now i know drew sanders was in was part of the question but yeah. adding any linebacker um would be a uh, a change in, in approach because they really only play with two linebackers on the field at a time. And sometimes right. it's just one, um, especially when James Houston comes on the field. Like sometimes he takes it, one of their it's spots. It's literally more often one than it is more often three. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. 
And um, and so the only time that they're going to have three is when one of those linebackers is a pass rusher, right? Right, like a James right. Houston, yeah. And, and they're running like a five-two front against a a, a run-first offense. Uh, but they only have off the ball guys. They only run two or one. That's it. Yeah. So if I add in a guy like Drew Sanders, it would give them four linebackers to rotate. Historically, they've only in the last two years. I mean, historically, they only have rotated three guys through the role. Now, have they only rotated three guys because that's the best that they've had and they don't trust the other guys after it? Or is it because that's a uh, intentional schematic approach? That's hard to tell. Right. So it's it. there's room to add a fourth, but it's also not a necessity, especially right. when it's one of the, when you are, aren't using that position as frequently as uh, you do some of the others. Yeah. And I think it's, it's good to bring up that the lions remain fluid in all this, right? They've proven that yeah. they, they want talented players and they'll figure out the scheme later. And that, I think that, that it was not just say, Hey, we were, we're rebuilding. We're trying to find our defensive identity. That is something they're going to stick to hundred percent of the time. If they, if they yeah. find a guy, they're going to try to find a place for him. The question is, do they value the linebacker position that much? And and a lot of things that they've done so far is the answer to that has seemingly been no, but I want to bring up Drew Sanders a little bit more because I feel like a lot of people look at that last year at Arkansas, nine and a half sacks and say, mm-hmm. this guy is not just an off ball linebacker. He's so much more than that. He can do much. Well, more. He can rush off the edge. He can be your, your Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons. That's that's the comp that yeah. people want to turn him into. So I'm just like we we brushed on this topic on Monday. We didn't yeah. we talked about Drew Sanders, I think, on the midweek mailbag, but we didn't we didn't brush this side of the debate for him. So I'm curious as to what where you stand that 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 maybe he's a little bit more than just an off-ball linebacker. My guess is he's more Tremaine Edmonds or Derek Barnes than he is Micah Parsons. Um if you remember back to Edmonds day, Edmonds was like a Micah Parsons before Micah Parsons in college at yeah. Tech. He was a pass rusher. He was, he did it all at his size. And when he came to the NFL, he Buffalo put him off the ball and kept him off the ball. And that's, that's kind of what the Lions have done with, with Derek Barnes as well. Sure. When they blitz him, they blitz him up the middle. They don't often blitz him on the edge. They utilize their other edge players uh, for that. And so, um, I do think that Sanders could be a guy that replicates in a similar way to what Derek Barnes is. Um, but in the Lions scheme, I don't necessarily view him as a guy that they're going to be like lining up in like a James Houston role. Right. They have James Houston for that and they like him in that role. Right. And he's very good in that role. And uh, and so I don't see any reason why, if anything, James Houston's role expanding and what he did the last couple of games, I think further pushes back against the fact of them adding a a linebacker. And in my opinion, if they were to add a linebacker, I don't think it would necessarily be like your Jack Campbell's or your Drew Sanders. I think it would be your Trenton Simpson's a guy that they met with at the combine. Trenton Simpson is more in the, half linebacker, half Chauncey Gardner-Johnson role. He's kind of in between those two guys, right? As opposed to in between like the, in between the, the Derek Barnes, James Houston role. And so you, you kind of arc over to the other side where you're looking for more coverage. You're looking for bigger bodies that can shift out into the slot, cover tight ends. 
that's the type of linebacker that I'm interested in because I think that fills a void that they don't necessarily have, like a bigger version of, of Gardner Johnson, right. as opposed to a different version of Barnes, which they kind of have in Houston. And, and I think there's overlap. And so it, the linebacker that interests me the most is Simpson. Last one, and it's going to stick with the linebacker position, and I am I am crowd-pleasing to the live audience here. Devin White is reportedly potentially available for a trade. Sure. Eric, this is the perfect... They have $5 million extra in cap space now. <laughs> Let's go get Devin White. And since you're looking something up, I'm going to jump in with this one right away. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely not. Stop trying to... Get linebackers to the Lions because you want to upgrade from Alex Anzalone so badly because guess what? Devin White is not an upgrade from Alex Anzalone. He doesn't know the system as well as Alex Anzalone. His PFF score, way worse. And if you want to complain about Alex Anzalone's missed tackles, let me tell you a missed tackle rate last year. Alex Anzalone, 12.5. Devin White, 14.0. He's a worse tackler. He's worse in coverage. He can he can rush the passer probably a little bit better, but that's it. Devin White is not an upgrade. No, 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 no. Stop it, Lions fans. Stop it. Stop trying <laughs> also, to get. Stop trying to upgrade the linebacker room when the Lions don't want to. He also costs eleven point seven million dollars. Um. So, <laughs> uh, and you have to give up capital to go get him. So, um. I don't know how quick they would be to 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 make that to make that move. Um, He's laughing at you, people. I'm not. No, no, not <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Um, I, I I just I think the disconnect between what fans believe about the linebacker group versus what the Lions coaching staff believe about the linebacker room is vast. And um, I think they believe Alex Anzalone is their best linebacker. And I think fans believe that Malcolm Rodriguez is the best linebacker because he can move those hips. And uh, I mean, look, (laughs) Malcolm does some funny stuff. And I mean, like stuff that we haven't seen. Right. Yeah. Like Malcolm can Malcolm can read gaps, fill gaps and like plug plug holes like crazy. But he is still he's still young. He's still a tick undersized, but man, he has a bright future. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But Alex Anzalone is steady. He's a captain. He's someone they trust. They like him more than Rodriguez. I'm sorry. They just do. And everyone can be mad about it. And I'm, and I get that too, because at the same time, if you're like, it, it almost feels like they're settling, but in their minds, they're not. And right. this it's the same conundrum that we have with the Will Will Harris all the time. <laughs> the coaching true. staff is coaching staff. It doesn't matter what coaching staff it is. They yeah. all love Will Harris. <laughs> yet fans don't like Will Harris at all. And so uh it's just it's a it's a it's an interesting debate. I mean, look, you you have to push back somewhere. So this seems to be the, the steady place to push back. And that's fine. Um, I get it. I get it. I mean, I wish they had uh I wish they had Tremaine Edmonds as opposed like to Alex, but I don't like Tremaine Edmonds $75 million price tag either. Right, right. You know what I mean? But I would I would rather have Alex Anzalone at seven million a year than Tremaine Edmonds at like what is it, 22 or something? 
Yeah, that's a lot. It would, yeah, it's 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 up there. Yeah. But look, this linebacker and, and running back are positions that are being phased out yep. because they're because of their roles and their impact in the NFL. And you can get away with having rotational linebackers when you have good players around the linebackers. And it's if you have a good offensive line, you can get away with a slightly subpar running back, right? You when you have good secondary and good pass rushers, you can get away with the sub subpar linebackers. You can't have a team that's all pro bowlers. It's just not feasible. Right. You can't afford it. You can't like it. Just it doesn't work like that. Uh, it, so you have to have weaknesses somewhere. This is where they've opted to do it. And it makes sense because they... the, the reverse does not work. If you don't have a defensive line and you have great linebackers, you're, you're, it, it, you won't yeah. see it because they won't be yeah. free to run anywhere because your defensive huh? line sucks. We may get to see it twice a year. <laughs> we, we saw it here forever, which is why everyone hates linebackers is because yeah, maybe the defensive line has been so bad that it doesn't matter who you throw back there at the linebacking core. But now, <laughs> Lions have a fortified defensive line. It's not perfect, but it's good. They have a fortified secondary. Their defense is going to be better. Deal with it. The way that the NFL is trending is more spread college schemes. Those spread schemes require more athletes, smaller wide receivers, uh, bigger defensive backs, smaller, like, like bigger tight ends, smaller linebackers. Like, it's it, it's the way it's phasing, and so it's going to get to a point where wide receiver X is going to be hard to find. Look, yeah. this year, 50, court, 50 wide receivers were invited to the combine. Seventeen of them were over six foot two. Three of them are projected to go in the top one hundred. Yeah, that's because colleges run so much spread now. Yeah. They 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 give priority to the quicker faster re- uh, you know receivers and they lean on those and NFL teams are having to adjust and as you start you're going to start seeing more teams start to try and replicate things that the college systems are doing in order because those are the players that are coming up Available to the next level. Yeah. Look at Kansas City. Kansas City is doing this. Yep. Kansas City's like, well, we don't have to have an X. We'll just load up four guys that can outrun everybody and we'll just get the ball to them, right? Like, so you're starting to see the day. This is why Patricia's scheme was god awful. But, but because you can't find these guys that there's right. you can't find 260-pound linebackers that can run anymore. They're just not there. They're all defensive ends now. But you wonder, so, you wonder if they, they always say the NFL cyclical though, right? At some point, the way to overpower some of these smaller, quicker guys is bigger, stronger guys. Right. And so yeah. I think, I think at some point that's going to flip. It just hasn't happened yet. And, 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 and it's hard to find those big guys that are all like, like you were just about to say, like, okay, you can get big and strong, but you still need to be fast. Like you can't, this was, this was the bill of sale that Matt Patricia sold. Right. He said. I'm going to have my pick of all these guys that no one else wants because everyone else runs this speed scheme. So I'm going to have my pick of all the slow linebackers (laughs) because nobody wants them. So I'll get the best slow linebackers they have. And he did in the second round. Skip that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, So (laughs) yes, I get the idea of zigging when people zag, 
right? Like that's how Bill Belichick has survived in the NFL as long as he has. But there needs to the be a problem proof is there is no proof of concept. Right. And, 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 and to take it a step further is the, the groceries that are coming into the NFL. Like if you look at the players like groceries, the groceries, you, you can't make, you can't make big old pumpkins. You know, when you're all you're getting is, is these tiny little ones from the grocery store. You know what I mean? Like you can't, you can't make these elaborate meals with these big fruits when all you're getting is these tiny little ones all over the place. It's, you can only cook with what's available and and what's coming available is a change, a drastic change to how football is being played and how, and the body types of the players that are coming up. It's a, it's, it's evolving. What an analogy. What an analogy. All right. We got to get out of here. I was trying to end this thing about 10 minutes ago uh, and we failed because we got into food analogies with, with Eric Schlitt there. Um, but we're gonna close things out. Uh, no, that was our midweek mailbag this week because there's a little bit of conflict in our schedules. Um, so I hope you enjoyed that. We will, um, we'll try to fit in a first bite this week. We definitely will have our Spotify live, our penultimate Spotify live Saturday mornings, 9 a.m. Eastern. So make sure you download that app. Follow Pride of Detroit. But until then, thank you for Ryan for joining us for the half first half. Thank you, Eric, for joining for the full show. Thank you all for listening. It's chaos. Peace out.